Hey, we are in session two, lesson two of our series called Unshaken, Standing Strong No Matter What. Our session one was Unshaken When I Lose Sight of All I Have. And if you were here last week, you know that we're sort of going to end up making our way through scripture. I'm going to hit some stories of the Bible that I felt were relevant to where we're going to be going. But um, now we cannot get into the study of God's word and start at the beginning and not make it through the story of Abraham. He's the father of faith. Many of you love Abraham for a number of reasons. It's where the story, you know, of course, Adam and Eve last week, we talked about the fall, but really the story of Abraham is sort of where faith and relationship and, and, and so much of what we call our Christian faith now started right there in Genesis chapter 12. So let's, let's get into this background a little bit with this uh, title of this session in mind. Uh, lesson two, when I can't see the way. How do, you, how do you stand strong in faith when you can't see where you're going? Now, you might be watching this right now and this resonates deeply with you because you might be in a season where you thought you knew the way. Uh, I've been in my life in seasons where I had a plan and I had an agenda and a schedule and one-year plan, five-year plan, 10-year plan, and boom, out of the blue, God will change that. And when that happens, it's easy to feel shaken. And what's the next step? How do we move forward? And so how do you do that? Well, we have no better example than Abraham. And in Genesis 12, I'm going to read you a little bit of the background and then give you three principles as usual of what to do or how to handle life when you can't see the way. And you're going to see really the theme of today is that it all goes back to trust. It's a five-word letter that I have long taught is the essence of the Christian life. Trust, trust, trust. And we're going to get into it in a minute. Let me give you a little background. In Genesis 11, and this is after the story of the Tower of Babel, where the world was sort of united and built a tower. They wanted to be great and show themselves like, we're going to do everything. We are a people who can do this on our own. And God brought that down and scattered them. And in the middle of it, we read about this family. And so Genesis 11, I'm just going to read into leading into Genesis 12. We're told now these are the generations of Terah. Terah is the father of Abraham. So it goes on to say, Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of the, his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. So here's the man we're going to be studying, Abram. His name has not changed yet. So Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. And again, her name is still not changed by God. It's S-A-R-A-I at this point. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Isha. Now we're told what happens to this family. In verse 31 of Genesis 11, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran. So Abraham sort of takes in. Actually, let me back up a minute. Sorry, I missed a critical verse. In verse 29, we're told Abraham and Nahor took wives. And then verse 30, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren. This is critical, all right? She was barren. She had no child. This is important because it's going to lead into the promise that God's going to make for this family in a minute. And so Terah uh, takes Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, the daughter-in-law, his son, Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So Terah was 205 years old and he dies. Now, chapter 12, this is where the story of Abraham starts. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and, in, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the, of the earth shall be blessed. Now, let me, let me just speak a little bit into what's happening here. There is this family that lives in this land that has no sense of Christianity. They have not been given a tract by the bus stop. 
They have not been left a Bible, a Gideon Bible in the hotel. Like they know nothing about God. You say, what do we know about them? Well, Joshua 24 verse 2 is a good insight into who and where this family was. Joshua says a speech at, his, at the end of his life. Joshua is kind of in the patriarchs, the, took over the people of Israel's leadership after Moses. Joshua says to all the people in his book that he wrote, 2412, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. There are the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. All right, that's the background. And then the story, of course, he's talking about God. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and brought him. So the story starts with a people who worship other gods. They have no sense of who God is. And in the middle of this, God shows up to Abraham and speaks a word over him. He says, and now where does he speak into? And this is critical. I backed up to read Sarah's problem. Sarah had a crisis. She was barren. And if you know much about that culture in that day, barrenness was a curse. By the way, still today, barrenness in a couple and a family that wants to have kids is not considered a good thing. It's a painful thing. And so they're living this pain. They've got this nephew, Lot, who is going to become part of their family, has sort of been adopted into the family, but they're hurting. And into this pain, God speaks a promise and a message. And he shows up. He says, Abraham, if you follow me, here's what will happen. And I've thought long and hard about this because we're talking about um, be standing unshaken when we can't see the way. And all of a sudden, there's an encounter. God shows up to Abraham, speaks a word. There's an invitation offered. There's uh, a presentation of a promise. And now it is up to Abraham to respond to the promise. It is not Abraham's decision to follow God. It is not Abraham's idea to follow God. God approaches Abraham and now Abraham has to respond. You say, how did he respond? Well, we'll read in a minute, but I'll give you some insight from Hebrews chapter 11, one of my favorite verses of scripture when God gave that promise to Abraham. Gen uh, Hebrews eleven eight. it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And listen, and this, if you're looking in your Bibles as I'm teaching, you can go to Hebrews 11 and you'll see the sentence that is an amazing step of faith. And it says about Abraham, when God gave him that promise, it says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. This is powerful. Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite writers, has written a book, a devotional called Not Knowing Where. And it is about this Genesis and the life of Abraham. And and, 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 and so here's Abraham. He's given a promise, but not specifically the details. He's told to go. And as a response, he goes, he obeys. And so the first big point, big idea of this teaching tonight is this. It is only as you learn to trust who God is that you'll be able to do what God wants. All right. Part of Standing unshaken when you can't see the way is to follow God even when you don't know the way. You say, how do you do that? And, and, and I think we have this sort of intuitive sense, well, I just follow, and if I follow, I'll trust. But I don't believe it's that way at all. Have you had any people in your life that, you've, that, that have asked you, stupid people, let's just say, who've asked you to do stupid things? You don't follow them. Why? Because you know who they are. And if they're stupid people, and I, I say this lovingly, I'm not trying to be ugly. Like, you know, I'm talking about junior high and, and grade school. If there was a kid in class that was a dum-dum, you didn't just go after them. Why? Because you knew their reputation. You knew who they were. So you made a decision based on the character of the person. Right now, I get phone calls. On, my mom will call me regularly. My mom is watching right now. She'll be like, Lena, I got this email. I need to send in my credit card account. And I'm like, mom, do not send it, right? Mom, do not respond to this email. Why? Because I see the source of the invitation. And if the source is bad, then you don't obey. All right. So, so, so now Abraham is, is given an encounter with God Almighty. And he has to decide, is this a trustworthy voice or not? 
And, and I, I, I want to, to teach this and make it easy, but, but it's not. It's not that simple because think about it. Think about your life. I've been meditating on this a little bit this week. And, and I think we want to think that we have something to do with this step. But I believe God's sovereignty and his mysterious choosing is that we have less to do with it than what we think we do. God speaks to us and we respond because he unveils our eyes and gives us understanding of who he is. That is so much of the teaching of the New Testament. I remember in my life, think about it so much. I think about, okay, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew who Jesus was, but my life turning point happened at camp. I was 16 and I remember being a year into my move. I'll tell you a little bit about my testimony if, we haven't, if you haven't heard my story before. I, I, I received Jesus as a child in the sense that every kid who grows up in a Christian home might, but, but the big turnaround happened in my life when I went to camp. I was 16. I just graduated high school. I had a, a point of pain in high school in that we moved from another country. I didn't have a lot of friends and I just was a bit lost, not in a way that you might think is lost. I had a college I was going to go to. I had a, I had a family that loved me, but I just wasn't sure of, 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 of what I was supposed to be doing. And in that confusion and, and pain, I had an encounter with God. And you say, what did that look like? Well, we had a sermon. And after the sermon, we were invited. God moved in my spirit when the preacher spoke. And I knew without a doubt in my mind that God Almighty was speaking into my life. And I remember he told us, go out. And it was in northern Wisconsin. He says, just go out, find a place and pray and ask God. Just meet him, talk to him, do have business with God. He didn't make us come forward. He didn't have us write in our Bibles. And so I walked out. It was dark. I remember going to a rock up in northern Wisconsin in Dunbar. And, and some of the people who are watching here are friends of mine from camp. And I remember going out there and sitting on a rock and just feeling like never before the sure presence of God in my life. I knew, I knew without a doubt that there was a God Almighty. I knew, I knew my mom had taught us about Jesus, but something happened at camp where I knew that God had called me to follow him. All right, you've had this encounter if you follow Jesus. I know you have. It might have come in a church. It might have come in a revival service. Some people get saved when Billy Graham invites, you know, teaches. And I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stories. And some of you, you just had this encounter in your room at the end of your ropes. And, and you knew without a question in your heart that there was God Almighty who was speaking into your life. And, and it's, it's hard to explain. But if you've heard the voice of the Lord calling you like Abraham, you are given an invitation to either follow that voice or not. And, and, and this is where faith comes in. By faith, you choose to trust the promise of God. So if he promises you eternal life and adoption into his family, John 1, 12 promise, promises that if you receive him, you're adopted into his family. If he promises it, you look at the source of the promise and you make a decision. And I don't know the circumstances of what led Abraham to say, okay, I'm going to take you up on it. But enough had happened in his life. Maybe he was sick of the idols. Maybe he had so much pain in his life that he just needed somebody bigger than himself Maybe it was God Almighty who removed the veil from his eyes. Second Corinthians or First Corinthians three talks about. Uh, I think Second Corinthians, sorry, chapter three talks about how God removes the veil over our eyes so that we see clearly. For some of you, it's happened recently. We've you've understood who God is, and in a moment of faith, you trust God. And because of your trust, the song, the old song we used to sing back in the eighties, was. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It doesn't say obey and trust. You don't obey and then develop trust. You, you trust and an obedience flows out of it. And so you start following. So what did Abraham do in Genesis 12 verse 4? So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And so you see that all of our actions in the Christian life are rooted in how we think and what we believe about God. I love this definition of faith. If you write 
If you're writing down, this is a good definition to write down. Faith is the confidence in the kindness of God, no matter the confusion of my circumstances. This is huge, all right? Faith is the confidence, not just in God, but in his kindness. I've always felt like faith is belief in the goodness of God, no matter what you're going through. When we talk about being unshaken, there has to be a sense where you believe, not just that God exists, but that God is good. That's what happened in Genesis chapter three. We talked last week, Eve stopped believing the goodness of God. She thought that he wasn't good. He was holding back from her. And so if in our pain, we hear a promise of God, we have to decide, is he trustworthy? And so, and so there's always this test, by the way, think about others in the New Testament that Jesus comes to Peter, James, and, uh, or James and uh, Peter and his brother, sorry, Peter and John, they're fishing. And, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm confusing my people today. Peter and, 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 and Andrew was his brother. And so they're fishing and Jesus shows up and says, uh, leave your nets and follow me. And so here they are, they've got a family business. They're responsible young adults. And Jesus says, to them follow me and what do they do in, in Mark chapter 1 I think it talks about that and in all the gospels there's an invitation and, and 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 Peter and Andrew they leave the nets they leave the business and they follow Jesus so what is that uh, just some sub points here when God calls us to himself he never gives us all the details you ever thought about that so so there's 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 Jesus who comes to Peter and Andrew and he says to them uh, come follow me and and they leave their nets I'll make you fishers of men and they come there's there's Paul who's on the way to Damascus killing Christians and Jesus shows up and says why are you persecuting me and and he he transforms his life and Paul leaves his way of living his career everything he has worked for he had a respectable position even though he was killing Christians it was respectable in the eyes of his people and he basically turns around and uh, uh, follows and he he doesn't know much of what is going to happen in his life he doesn't know what is about to to come down the pike every one of the men and women in scripture who has been given an invitation to follow Jesus, they weren't given a lot of details. They were just told, you follow me. And so when God calls us himself, he doesn't give us all the details and he always calls us out of our comfort. For Abraham, there had to be a move. Leave Terah and follow me. So now, or leave Haran and follow me. So he packed up his bags. He put everything, you know, on the camels and the donkeys that he had. He took his family and he literally left home. And if you uh, are like me at all, you understand that that is not an easy thing. Have you, have you tried making a decision where you split off your family from the way that they believe, from the way, I have friends who are Indian background and the family unit is like so close and, and they've come to faith in Christ. And, and, and you know that if any young man or woman who's Indian comes to faith in Christ, it's about abandoning culture and, and decades and centuries of belief and culture. My Muslim friends who in Lebanon have given their life to Christ and there is a, a complete estrangement and a threat to their life. Why? Because that's what happens when God calls us himself. If anything, we in the United States have been given a pass. Some of you in the States have had to make dramatic divorces of your, of your previous ways of life, but many of us have tried to balance our Christian calling with our day-to-day -day life. And by the way, this is what I believe something that's happening right now in our, in, our, in, our, in our crisis in the coronavirus is that we're given this opportunity to kind of kind of rewind a little bit and be like, okay, what is it that really matters? Am I living like a Christian? And what does it look like to be a Christian? And, and have I left my comfort zone? And if not, where is God calling me to leave my comfort zone? So for Abraham, it was very tangible. He took his stuff, packed up, and they left. And I can imagine everybody in their town going, are you stupid? Where are you going? Well, I don't know. Well, well who are you going with? Well, that I know. I'm, I'm going with God. Well, who's God? Well, it's just this, this God. Is, I mean, can you picture him trying to explain it? 
but by faith he went, not knowing where he was going. When God calls us to himself, he, call, he, he never gives all the details. He always calls us out of our comfort. And, and when God calls us to himself, everything in our life changes. Everything in our life changes. Think about it. Think about back when you first received Jesus. What is it about your life that has changed because of Christ? And, and, and I guarantee you that there were things that changed back 20, 30 years ago, if you were in Christ for a while, that you could be like, oh yeah, this is what happens. But here's a question. How are you still changing because of your faith in Christ? You go, well, well I'm a Christian already. Why do I need to change? Constant growth in your faith brings constant transformation. It's how we grow in Christ. The longer I'm in Christ, the more I see areas that God longs to change in me but it goes back for me to let go control and to and to change means to trust him that he's going to help me in that process and so that's what that's the point of faith that abraham exhibited so abraham went as the lord had told him genesis 12 verse 4 and then verse 5 and abraham took sarah his wife and lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of canaan when they came to the land of canaan abraham passed through the land to the place at shechem to the oak of morah at that time the canaanites were in the land so he goes into this foreign land now God speaks again the promise he says to your offspring I will give this land so now the land is somebody else's and God's like I'm gonna give you this land and so so with each step of the way God is revealing more of his will and and, and that's often how this happens in our life and God gives you a little bit and as you follow him he gives you more and more and more and more and this is how it's played out in my life and I'm sure in your life and and you might have uh, have made a decision to obey God in one step never foreseeing the 10 steps that would come down the road but every step God builds on your faith and so what did Abraham do as God says to him in verse 7 to your offspring I will give this land here's his response so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill. I'm going to come back to this concept of an altar, but verse 8. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there again he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. I want to give you point number two. So point number one was, it is only as you learn to trust who God is that you're able to do what God wants. We're talking about standing unshaken when I cannot see the way. So you can't see the way. It's about trusting God and taking the next step. That's obedience. Here's point number two. It is only as you worship God with your heart that you'll grow in trusting God with your future. All right? If you have notes, look at that point. This is critical. It is as you worship God with your heart that you'll grow in, in trusting God with your future. So at every junction, Abraham has to decide, is God still trustworthy? And God has given him nothing but a promise. So far, he's not given him the land. He's just moving into the land. He hasn't given him a kid yet. We know it's going to be 25 years before he gets a kid. Abraham doesn't know that. He might have ran the other way if he knew. But, but God is working with him little by little to grow him in understanding of who he is. And that growth happens as we practice worship of God. You say, what is worship? Well, there's a lot of definitions for it. Uh, it is the act of attributing worth and honor to God. It is about bowing down to God. It is about giving up control and giving God control. That's worship. Saying, God, I cannot, you can, you are greater than I am. I love uh, some more definitions that I, that I came across that I think are, are so good. It, worship is the correct, the right valuing of God's worth. It is stopping in your life and, and, and giving God the worth. What I have is not because of what I did. What I have is not because of how smart I am. It's because of who God is. What I am is because of who God is. It is rightly valuing God's worth. It is to treasure God above all things. That is worship. It is to treasure God above all things. He's my favorite. Um, worship is a response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind. All right, you got, you got to write this down and meditate on this this week. Worship is a response of your heart to the knowledge of your mind. 
By the way, remember in Romans, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You read God's word, you inform your mind, you learn about God, and that knowledge transforms into an act of worship in your heart that says, I'm going to build an altar and give him all of the worth because he's the reason that I'm here. He's the reason that I can hope that God is going to give me a son. I'm just putting myself in, in Abraham's scenario. It is about recognizing, I didn't know the way, I followed God, and now I'm here and he appeared to me again, and now something is happening. It is called a relationship. It is not dead. When people, talking about, when people talk about having a relationship with God, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about a living, breathing relationship with a living, breathing, almighty God who is with us every step of the way. So that you might be sitting going, I don't know where I'm going to get the job next week. That's okay. You don't have to know. You have to know him. You don't have to know what. You have to know him. You might be going, well, but I don't know who I'm going to marry. You don't have to know. God knows and he'll bring him. You just follow him. But, but I don't know what college I'm supposed to go to. I don't know who, what major to do. And on and on and on. Every season of life brings new questions. I don't know where to go. And it shakes us up. We freak out. And to it, God says, here's the solution. Number one. Out of trust, you do what I say, and you take the next step. Number two, you learn to worship. You say, how, how, how did Abraham worship? Well, he back then, they built altars. Altars were places of worship, places of, of, of they, would, they would offer. Later on with Moses, it was, it was a blood worship, blood sacrifice, but here it was a burnt sacrifice. And so, and so they offered, Abraham would offer a burnt sacrifice. It was his way of recognizing all that I am, all that I have, all that I want to be is, is what God wants for me. And so he builds these altars. And, and some commentaries talk about that first altar that he built as an altar of promise, of recognizing, okay, I believe God has promised me. I'm going to build this altar altar to show that I believe it is like a testimony of my belief the second one uh, one author it describes a, a, this as an altar of intimacy now God reinforces and he has him in a land of his enemy and protected in the land of his enemy and saying I'm going to guard you in the light of Canaan and it is a it is an altar of a deeper faith an altar of intimacy we're going to see in a minute a couple more altars that he that he pitches that he builds and by the way another small thing on analyzing the text there it says that he pitched his tent I think this is a critical symbolic uh, picture as Abraham pitched his tent he didn't build a house because he wasn't home yet and there is in this pitching of a tent a symbol of a man who is quick to move when God says move he's ready to go he's not there permanently later in Hebrews 11 we're told that they recognized those old people of the Old Testament recognized that they were citizens not of this world but of another world and the pitching of a tent is sort of a picture of that that we're nomads we are by the way if you're a follower of Jesus you have to understand this picture and this symbolism and this analogy because though we act sometimes like this is our home this is our end of the story it is not we, we too are nomads. We are going home. Now where our home is, it's going to be with Christ someday. And I will get to Revelations in a few months. We can talk more about that later. But for now, understand that it is not the earth as we see it now. We're most of us going to live what I turned 48 yesterday. What do we have? 20, 30, 40, 50 years? I'll be 50 years. I'll be 98. I mean, not more than that. It's not that long. We're not to live in houses or to pitch tents. Now, I get some of you are like, what Jeremiah says, 12 tents, build houses, make the same. 
you understand that there's a symbolic thing happening here. Also, a little observation, Bethel and I. So he chooses a place of worship and it is between Bethel. Bethel means the place of God. I is a picture of the world. So Abraham is in the middle. He is not of the world. He, he is a man of worship. He is a man who's committed to live his life of worship to God. He's recognizing God. So he's between Bethel and I. He's in the world, but he's not of the world. And, and, and my challenge to you as we think about building altars in the New Testament, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it talks about our bodies being a living altar of worship to God. How are you worshiping God daily in your life? Right now, in, in shelter in place. If you're in Chicago, we got another month. If you're in Wisconsin, half the United States, we've got another month at home. You go, man, I can't build an altar. I can't even go to church. This isn't about singing with the choir. Worship is not about gathering together with the choir, lifting your hands. That is one form of worship. How, and I, I don't have the answer for you, but how are you going to practice worship this week so that you are giving God the worth. You are responding with your heart to what you know in your mind. Well, you got to grow your mind in the knowledge of God. Set your minds on things above and not on things of the earth. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. What are you thinking of? You go, well, I'm not. I'm trying to catch up on my Netflix binge. Well, then you're likely not responding with worship. Now, somebody just told me that I need to watch The Chosen. That is a, a series on the life of Jesus. And so that might lead you to worship. You see, there are some things that you can integrate where you're not always like, I got to read the Bible. You know, I'm not asking you to be stressed about your relationship to God, but, but about thinking through ways. Maybe for you, it's taking a walk, unplugging for half an hour. Maybe it's sitting quietly. You know, maybe it is the inspired yoga that my sister teaches. What is it? Maybe it is in your giving. Maybe it is in a prayer closet where you stop and say, I am building an altar of worship, a testimonial. I did that yesterday. Took some time and thought about all the ways on my birthday that God has has answered prayers, met my need, I made a list, wrote down, journaled, and thought about all the ways that God has dealt with me this year. It was an altar of worship of saying, God, all that you've given in this season is because of who you are. Say, but, but we don't get it right all the time. You better believe it. Look what happens next. And we're moving into the third point. So we're talking about unshaken when I can't see the way. We obey out of trust. We worship in order to grow in trusting. And then number three, it is only as you see God's grace and famine that you'll learn to believe God with your life. The truth of the matter that you and I, man, we are not good at all of this stuff. We freak out when the chips are down. We lose our jobs and we question God. We stay single into our 30s and we panic and think God has forgotten us. Our kids fail a test and we think he's, I mean, we, on and on and on the scenarios, some minor, some major, some stories that I have gotten prayer requests about that are overwhelming. And by the way, some of you who have overwhelmed, on the contrary, I see the more overwhelming, the pain, the more your trust is growing. But we have a tendency when the chips fall to question God and, or, or to do what Abraham did. You say, what did he do? Well, he tried to fix the matter in his own hands. And we start to see in Abraham this tendency to do this. And so in verse 10 of Genesis 12, we're told there was a famine on the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt. So rather than listening to the voice of God, Abraham says, okay, there's a famine. There's no food. This is his coronavirus crisis, right? He's got a problem. He can't fix it. And so he goes down to Egypt. Remember, we've done this series on how to survive crisis uh, when we first started this community group. And we talked about Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi, their family was so scared. They were like, we're going to go into Moab. And we see this pattern of wanting to to find comfort when we lack 
instead of waiting on God. And so he goes into Egypt and there's a symbol in the Bible. Again, every time there's this, Egypt is a symbol of the world and we'll see it clearly as we get into Exodus and the people of Israel, they were in Egypt and God saves them out of Egypt, their land of slavery and sends them to the promised land. But there's this picture in the Bible of Egypt as a place of, of, of slavery and of the world. And so Abraham now is young in the faith. He hasn't built his faith muscle yet and he freaks out and he says, man, okay, man, I'm gonna go to Egypt. And he has this, convoluted story. He says when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So he's scared for himself. So he, he forgets all that God is. He forgets all the promises and he focuses on his need. And he says, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. This is the guy God picked. You go, man, Abraham is like this holy guy. He's so, I mean, he's just like us. The story isn't how great Abraham is. The story is how great our God is. You say, how great? Watch. So Abraham, verse 14, entered Egypt. The Egyptians saw that the woman, he was right. The Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. This woman was like top-notch beauty. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants. So not only did he not kill Abraham, now he's honoring him because of Sarah and how beautiful she is. He wants, he wants her. Say, how did this play out? And watch, this is so awesome. But the Lord, are you aware in your life of how many times God has worked in your life and saved you despite you and your decisions? I, I don't know about you, but I know that in my life. Today I was praying with Irina and Heidi. We, this is our prayer team. We meet every couple of weeks and pray. And, and I was just praying and I said, God, we are where we are, not because of what we've done, but despite it. We know who we are. We know our mistakes. We know our sins. And yet God, but the Lord, so what did he do here? He afflicted Pharaoh. What did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh thought she was not the sister, not the wife. So he afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then here's your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men, gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his life and all that he had. And by God's grace, he doesn't, Pharaoh doesn't kill Abraham. He doesn't hurt Sarah. On the contrary, he invites him to leave. Do you want to know? We're not going to spend the, we're going to look at Sarah next week in Genesis 16, but then we're not, I'm going to keep going past Abraham. This is not a study on Abraham, but on faith. But do you know that Abraham did it again? There's a second chapter later on in 20 something where Abraham goes to Egypt when he's not supposed to. And again, God shows up and gives him grace. Because God had chosen him and had committed to him and had a covenant with him. And we'll see later on. I think if you read through Genesis 15, you'll see this unconditional, everlasting covenant that God makes with Abraham. He is not a fickle God. He is not a God who is yesterday, no tomorrow. He is a God who is committed to us to the end. Look, look, look. I know, I know some of you are watching this and I, I'm well aware of the baggage that we carry. I have baggage. I know that some of you, you had the worst day of your life, sins that you haven't been able to get free from, habits and emotions, and you're so frustrated, and you question whether you know Christ because you're constantly going back to the pigsty. Listen, if you know the Lord, you've given your life to him, you're, you're promised more than that. Freedom is yours in Christ, but even in those days, God is still faithful to you. So he gets Abraham out untouched. 
So what did Abraham do? So he went up in chapter 13 from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him. Now Abraham was very rich in verse 3 of chapter 13. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. So he goes back to that first altar and offers again an altar now of, of renewal, an altar of, of recommitment, an altar of, 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 of saying, this is who God is and this is who I am. And, and it is only as you see God's grace and famine that you learn to believe God with your life. You say, what happened in the rest of that chapter? Well, Abraham and Lot separate and Abraham gives Lot, his nephew, an option. He says, look at the land and choose. And he was being gracious. He's the older uh, person who got Lot out of the mess of, of Haran and, 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 all that, uh, and, and all that was over there. And, 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 and Lot is so selfish. He doesn't care. He looks at the land. He sees the green land and he takes the good land. And Abraham is left like with the, you know, the, the crumbs of the pie. Like you, so humanly, you'd be like, what just happened? And, and, and in verse 14 of chapter 13, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him. Now there's one side desert, one side green. Lot takes the green side. Abraham is left with nothing. So again, unshaken when I can't see the way. You say, what happened when he couldn't see the way? Well, the Lord said to Abraham, verse 14 of chapter 13, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So Abraham, what did he do again? Moved his tent, again, pitching his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built again, what? An altar to the Lord. And this has been described as an altar of possession of the promise. Yes, he plants his feet and, he believes God. How did his faith grow? Well, because he saw the grace of God in famine. And he chooses to believe God again. Famine, crisis, famine, whatever you want this to be a picture of, teaches us that God's grace does not depend on my perfect performance. As God delivers us time and time again, we see him working despite us. Famine reveals what and who we really trust. And we'll see Abraham, by the way, he blows it. He, in a minute, we're going to see next week, he and Sarah come up with a plan to, to very much put the promise in a place of danger. And yet even there, God is still faithful. Famine reflects what your faith rests on and exposes your fear. For Abraham, he feared his safety. Even though he'd left Haran and moved and pitched his tent in Canaan and trusted God, yet there was still in his heart a desire for comfort and safety. And famine showed that. And God committed to Abraham that he would purify his heart. And of course, we know if you go home and read Romans 12, you are home, you can read it later, uh, that, that, that Abraham believed God. And that was, we'll look at those verses next week, I think. But, but that is why in Hebrews 11, and I started those verses and I'll end with them. Uh, we have given the story of a man who went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham learned faith. Abraham acted by faith, but he grew and learned faith. Even though his story started by not knowing where he was going. I remember that summer at camp. I remember, and by the way, my friend Lori was my camp counselor. She often watches this. She may be watching this now. 
I remember just this two-week camp, and I was not an easy camper. I just was difficult, and not trouble, but just difficult. And I remember God changing my heart and, and, and getting a hold of my heart. And, and I felt compelled to change everything about my life, where I was going to college, my focus. And I remember how God made clear what he wanted, the next step, just the next step. And I had had this Christian college I had applied to because my mother had forced me to. And, and in hindsight, I don't know that I would have picked that college. I, it just was a divine storm, a perfect good storm, not a bad storm. So I don't think that's a good analogy, but you understand. And I, I went on the payphone. We had payphones. This was back in the 80s. And I called my dad, who was a new believer. And, and he was not open to changes and ideas. He was a man of, of routine and stability and plans. And you don't change plans. And I remember calling and thinking, God, if he says yes, then I'll know it's from you. And I called on the phone. I said, Dad, I'm not going to the college that I was planning to go. This was in August, July, August. We we're going to start college in September. And I said, I want to change. I want to go. And I told him where I want to go. And he was... I, I don't know what went on in his mind. He he's died five years ago. I can't ask him, but I'm sure, I'm convinced that he thought I lost my marbles. But he said, yes, if you feel that's where God wants you to go, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm in it. That decision changed the course of my life. I am where I am today because in that, you, you might say, well, you would have ended up here anyway. I, I don't think so. It ended up changing what I studied my focus, where I spent summers at camp, how God continued to deal with my heart. And I can take you to other moments in my life. In fact, I look at the work we've done in Lebanon, the Syrian refugees. I look at, at this, this season with coronavirus, the COVID updates that I've been doing. No plan. People are always like, what are you planning in ministry? I'm like, I have one plan. I'm following Jesus. They go, well, don't you have a five-year plan? Well, sort of. We want to tell people about Jesus and teach the Bible. Well, but how? Where? I'm like, I don't know. I never planned this. Look at us. We have so many of you listening in from all over the United States. I never would have planned it. But God, you see, just like Abraham, you and I can testify today that though we don't deserve it, though we have gone to Egypt over and over again, God has brought us back to the altar to the place of worship. So this week, I want you to think about those things. Where is your area of famine and what is it revealing about yourself? And secondly, or thirdly, how are you building places of worship, habits of worship? Not Bible study on Thursday night, church Zoom on Sunday morning, but how are you integrating it? So you're in the middle, I on one side, Bethel on the other, and you have a lifestyle of worshiping God. What are the practical things that you are going to do this week to make that 